This is the start of your new life, Brian. A life without worry or pain or loneliness. A life filled instead with colors and music and euphoria. A life of light and pleasure. But who are you? What are you? I am you, Brian. I'm all you'll ever need. I don't understand. You will, Brian. From now on, your life will take on a whole new light. And all you have to do is look into the light and listen. Listen to the light, Brian. Just listen to the light. Yes, yes, I'd like to again, but... I don't see it now. Then I'll make you a deal. I'll show you the light if you'll take me for a walk. A walk? Where? Anywhere you like. I'm, uh, hungry. Wait, wait, I'm confused. I'm not following any of this. Then don't worry about it. You don't need to worry about anything ever again. I'll do all your thinking for you. Just put me on the back of your neck and everything will be fine. My neck? Oh, you mean the hole? I... Wait, but I don't know. Trust me, Brian. Trust me. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Here's Johnny. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Here, here. The power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ compels you. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Sometimes, that is better. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Screaming Cinema Podcast. I uh, have a great show for you um, today. It's pretty cool topics and this is actually going to be part one of two. So I'm joined here as always by Tyler. How's it hey, going Max? Man? Good, good, good. Ready to dive into some uh, lesser known uh, gems of the horror world. Looking forward to it. And the man with two names, James Cole. How's it going? James Cole Clay, so three names. Three, oh, okay. Three first we'll, we'll... names. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm here to talk about some underseen stuff, you know, Halloween, stuff like that. Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream. <laughs> Halloween 2. Halloween 2. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no, dude, I've been watching so much stuff, so yeah, that's why I kind of hopped on. I was ready to rise to the challenge to... Watched some films last minute, and, um, you know, yeah, it's been pretty cool, and it actually kind of took me in some interesting directions, and we've kind of found some parallels, I think, within our picks um, before we started recording, so, yeah, I think it'd be cool. Yeah, it was interesting. When I was looking at my list, I, like, wanted to make sure I wasn't being an idiot and selecting something that was mainstream or, you know, that was far enough off the beaten path that people may not have seen it, but that was actually good. I don't want to go, you know, too far in my deep cuts and didn't want to pick something that everyone knows about. So hopefully all of our picks are interesting. I know when we looked at each other's lists, there's um, no overlap, and there's actually quite a few that all of us haven't seen, So, um, or at least of each other. So it'll be interesting to hear what we have to say, and I guess we'll ha- all have some lists at the end of this podcast of things to catch up on, potentially. Yeah, I'm with you, Max. Like When I was trying to figure out which ones I was going to do, it, it was very hard trying to figure out like what's obscure 
but not obscure enough to where like no one's ever seen it but also uh not picking something that i think is obscure but actually has a very deep following so yeah looking forward to it and uh, we can uh we can dive in later but uh um you said you've been watching a lot of stuff recently what have y'all been watching um I guess I'll start with actually going out in public. So I went out uh, last night to go to a drive-in movie because drive-ins are open, even though there are a few cinemas down here in Houston, the Houston area. I think the Showbiz cinemas are open. But um, I've already seen I Still Believe a dozen times, so I didn't go. Um, <laughs> it's like they're just showing stuff like that, like Knives Out and stuff. So anyway, I went to the drive-in. Uh, it was put on by Rooftop Cinema. Are you guys familiar with Rooftop, Rooftop Cinema at all? No, not me. So, so they're kind of like a um, a very they, they cater. They're based out of L.A. and they do like films on the rooftop, films outside, like special film experiences, kind of like what Alamo's like Rolling Roadshow does, but uh, without that sort of branding. So they kind of cater to like I think like upper middle class people. The stuff is pretty expensive. Uh, the films are always sold out, especially here in Houston, because it's on this like really cool rooftop in a neighborhood called Uptown, which is like where like a bunch of people who um, like are really like corporate people that probably have like six figure incomes live. So it's like affluent young people in their 30s and 40s. So I think that's what they were catering towards. So my girlfriend and I saw that they opened up this place um, in this art district in town. Um, and they were going to be broadcasting uh, a bunch of movies on a silo outside. And I was like, okay, well, I trust this brand. Um, I like this place. And it was a terrible experience uh, on every level. Um, uh, what happened? Ex- except for maybe one level. Um, it's a shame because this, I, like I said, I thought this brand was going to be like come through clutch because they're always sold out. Um, so we went to go see Selena, which is cool. <laughs> I was down to see it. Um, I like that movie. I grew up with it um, really prominently. Right. And so anyway, I went to, we went to go see it, and we like got our snacks, got our M&Ms and our Twizzlers, and it was so awesome. We were in my truck, and I, we pull up, and I was like, I automatically saw the screen. So it's on a silo, so they don't have a screen at all. It's just broadcast on the silo, so the images are all distorted. And Is it like curved like yes, around the silo? Yes. Oh. Yeah. So it was like cur- it was curved around there, and it was like a date night, man. It was like a straight up date night. We paid thirty five dollars to get my truck in there. For a side view, mind you. Um, so it was like 33 with tax, 28, and then all the fees. And, you know, I think if like, you're a family, like, that's an okay price. Like, say, say it's like you, your wife, and like two kids. Like, that's okay, I guess. Um, but the, the, the way that it looked was terrible. And these people were like sitting on top of their cars, and all they had to use the bathroom was like a porta potty as well. And I was just like, dude, this is terrible. The sound was good though inside of the um, inside of the truck, but like the whole experience was just like a huge disappointment. I was like, dude, I much rather would have just rented this on iTunes last night and stayed home yeah. and went and bought, you know. So it was it was pathetic. Like it was just a pathetic experience all around. Um, I hated it. It was a money grab, is what we ended up calling it. So we might actually go to the actual drive-in here in Houston. Um, I was going to say, that sounds like it'd be better because they're familiar with it and they do it all the time. So they're not going to screw it up by trying to make it like hipster by putting it on a curved silo with no screen. (laughs) And there was a train that went by too, is what was crazy. This train, (laughs) and we were like, dude, this is bullshit. Like, this is absolute bullshit. So um, it it totally sucked. Um, I don't know if Coyote Drive In is still open in DFW area. It is. 
That's cool. It is in Fort Worth. Uh, I've actually uh, had a few friends take their kids to uh, Trolls World Tour uh, out uh, out in the boonies uh, where it is. So, um, yeah, they're showing a lot of family-friendly pictures. Um, you know, obviously not any new releases, but, uh, right. you know, if you're, if you're bored on a Friday night, you could do worse for sure. And it's like um, probably 15 bucks a car or something like that. Yeah, yeah, very, very reasonable. And, totally. And like good screen, good, good audio quality. So um, I actually might uh, take our family out there uh, shortly. So, yeah. So, um, no, go ahead. Did, go you ahead. Ever, um, did you ever go to the uh, movie theater in between uh, Waco and Gatesville when we lived back in Waco? Um, no, I don't think so. There was a drive-in out there, though, right? It was very, very out of the way. Sketchy? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie. It was. Uh, and the last film I watched there was One Missed Call. Oh. <laughs> and, and, nice. And, and I don't... And that movie, like, number one, it's god-awful. But two, it's shot very dark. And so I could only see about a third of what was going on in that movie. So... My last uh, drive-in uh, experience was not a good one, uh, so I'm hoping for for a better one next time, for sure. That's the problem with the middle of summer ones. Like you have to wait till like nine o'clock until it gets dark, and then they don't want to show two movies and go till like one thirty, so they try to start the first one early. So, dude, yeah. So that's what happened to us last night. Is we uh, we went and it started at ten forty-five, and it didn't start till eleven o five. Selena is a two-hour and ten-minute-long movie. So it, we got to be like 1230 and I was like, we're going home. Like, I can't see shit. I'll just go home and buy it on iTunes. So that's what we did. <laughs> Went home and bought it and just started the movie over. And after we get done recording tonight, we're going to finish it. So it, it sucked. I mean, you don't want to start a movie at 11.05. Like, dude, I'm like a domesticated dude. Like, I'm not really trying to do that unless it's at like an Alamo draft house. If that, I mean, yep. honestly. So it, it, was pre- it was pretty lame. But the sound was good. I will say that. So. But I've I've also gotten um, a bunch of cool stuff in the mail. Uh, thankfully, it's been like a real dry season in terms of um, like physical media for a while. Stuff wasn't getting put out, and um, I'm lucky enough to be able to like review stuff at home and have like Blu-ray sent to me. So I got a whole bunch of shit last week, and it was epic. Um, and it was like really one of the most fun times I've had being a film critic in a really freaking long time. Honestly, just because. I didn't really have to go to some shitty theater that I hate um, where they're rude and people are talking during a bad boys for life screening. And, it, you know, so it was <laughs> nice. I do love going to the movies, but at the same time, like, it's been really cool to be at home and get these movies sent to me. So I recently received uh, these Tom Cruise 4Ks in the mail. Uh, they, they premiered Top Gun on iTunes on 4K. So I was able to get that. Uh, so I rewatched Top Gun. Uh, I love Top Gun. It's great. It was great. It holds up. I mean, it holds up in the worst ways, honestly. But I think the special features on this movie, like, are so in-depth that it really puts you in the feel of, like, 1986. And you really can kind of understand the context of what Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson were doing. And they're, like, coked-out brains. Um, So it was good. And I actually actually can't wait to see it on 4K. I haven't seen it in in 4K yet. So I'm really interested to see that. for sure. That's one of the best. 
That's one of the best things about them putting out sequels to movies. They'll throw out the original. Like I got the Pet Cemetery original in 4K after the new one was coming out, and they had all the old special features, loaded up some new ones on it. So definitely great when that happens. Was that? Did you get that Mondo Steelbook? Uh, no, I just got the regular one before that one came out. Um, well, I mean, the thing is, is that's Paramount. Like Paramount, the Top Gun. Paramount is always like make. They're always doing double dips and stuff like that, but. You know, each edition has been better. And so I watched Top Gun, which was really cool. I watched Days of Thunder, um, which was okay, um, I guess. I'd never seen it. Um, I enjoyed it. Both of them Tony Scott movies. And then I rewatched Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds, which got a lot of shit. But I thought that movie was actually pretty freaky. Um, I, hadn't I seen like that it in one. Like f- 15 years, but it, it was it was solid. Um, there's some really stupid shit, but um, it's pretty scary, honestly. Um, and the fact that Tom Cruise is, like, not believable is like a dock worker that's okay but he's like a <laughs> yeah tom dad. cruise uh yeah he's the he's the father of the year in that film uh yeah. really 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 gung-ho about protecting your kids uh, it's it's kind of like invasion but uh, it's like a less well done quiet place in that respect in like terms of the parental yes. the parental stuff you know what i mean like it's not as effective as a quiet place but all three yeah. of those were really good uh, to revisit and rewatch and to like put on the shelf. Like I was really, I was feeling very really thankful um, for that. I also got uh, Gretel and Hansel sent to me. Um, How's which that? It's, it's so uh, people I've heard don't know horrible things. <laughs> people don't know this, but Tyler and I, sh- uh, I give Tyler password to my voodoo account. Um, and I don't know if that's illegal. I don't really care. I guess, but um, <laughs> I get a bunch of shit, and Tyler's like, "Oh my god!" And it's really fun to be able to share share that with him. Um, and so I was able to get um, Gretel and Hansel, and I saw it in theaters. But it's like beautiful looking, but it's uh, just the story is crap. And I don't know if you guys know who directed it. Yeah, the director from Black Coat's Daughter, right? So Black Coat's Daughter, do you know whose son that is? I love that one. <laughs> No, Anthony Perkins from Psycho Son directed this movie. Really, did not did not know that. Yeah, so he also directed The Black Coat's Daughter, and he's in this movie with Gary Busey, where he like is a thinks he's a dog or something like that as well. You'll have to (laughs) just Google that. But yeah, Oz Perkins, um, he has an amazing eye for visuals. Um, Maybe I'll watch it again. I would like be curious if you guys saw it. Um, It starts off fucking vicious, like gnarly, intense, scary, nasty, mean. I mean, like, I I saw the trailer and, like, some of the imagery and, you know, just kind of gross, you know, stuff that they showed, like, in the trailer. It looked pretty, like, um, um, effective. But, yeah, I was wondering if uh, if the writing uh, and, the, and the story backed that up any. But uh, no. it, 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 it definitely sounds like it didn't. No, it really doesn't back it up too much. Um, I, I, I didn't think so. I really lost interest. I saw it at, like, a 1030 screening at night and was really tired by the end of it. Um, so I saw that, rewatched Birds of Prey, which is cool. Max said he didn't like it. We talked a little bit about that off mic, <laughs> which is fine. I mean, that's totally cool. I think that that movie really um, is either going to grab people or it's just absolutely not. But and people might think it's like annoying. But I liked it. Um, I also got Sonic, which, you know, Sonic's fine. I enjoy Sonic. Um, Sonic's it fun. Is, it is what it is. And... Um, Emma as well is a movie that I got in the mail. Um, it's like a period piece, which I like that kind of stuff, but it I, it kind of missed the mark for me in theaters. And then lastly, yeah. 
which is the cool another cool thing that doesn't come out till next week. Um, I got um, what's that movie called? The Invisible Man in the mail with Elizabeth Moss, and I watched yep. that yesterday with the commentary by Lee Winnell, which was absolutely charming in every way and really informative for people who like to make movies and want to know some things about like tactical how to make movies he kind of takes you through that a little bit and um, about the creative process and you know what it means to really like collaborate with people and stuff like that and he's a he's a cool guy and uh really like that comes out next week and if you um if you are into that movie get that movie for the commentary um it was good so and the 4k transfer of that was the shit so um it it looked fantastic so that's out and then also one very last one that i'm not going to review or anything like that but i got the way back with ben affleck today um and i like that movie so yeah check that one out so a lot of stuff that i kind of just have been watching and wanted to breeze through (laughs) man i now i feel like my picks are going to be a little bit (laughs) underwhelming because i i've only watched like two or three outside of what we're going to talk about tonight um uh, so when we started watching Scream, I got into a, a little bit of a '90s kick uh, for a week or two. Uh, right after Scream, I watched um, I Know What You Did Last Summer, which um, I don't know. I have a love hate relationship with. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll watch it and I'll I'll go like, man, this is you know a fun '90s you know slasher uh, Scream ripoff. And then sometimes I'll watch and I'll just be like, that wasn't as good as I you know remembered it to be. And unfortunately, this uh, this viewing was one of those ones where uh, I was like, "Yikes!" It didn't didn't quite do it for me this time. And, but but you know what? That's the beauty of of certain movies. Like you know, you have a good experience watching them at, at you know one time, and then you watch it the next time, and you're like, eh, "Didn't really hold up." But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you could do worse with a you know a a, a ninety slasher. Um, and then I also revisited uh, The Faculty, uh, Robert Rodriguez's uh, The Faculty, um, which me and Cole uh, will go to bat for every single time. Uh, you damn right I will. I love The Faculty. I, it's fantastic. Yeah, that, it's, it, it's such a great cast, like great, great teen cast, like great cast of like veteran actors who uh, have, have been in the business for a long time. Um, and uh, yeah, um, love the... Love the comedy, love the, you know, throwbacks to a lot of the like body switching and, um, you know, alien kind of takeover films of the 70s and 80s. So, um, yeah, always a good time. Who's the MVP of the faculty? Ooh, that's a tough one. It is a Um, tough one. Every time Robert Patrick is is in the movie, (laughs) I just like can't help it. Like that man has like such a, a just quiet intensity about him. You know, and I guess that brings out his, you know, T-1000 in, in sure. every single thing that he's in. Um, but yeah, every time he's on screen, like, I just, like, I was smiling just because, like, he's he's very foreboding and very, very intimidating uh, as the as the foul mouth coach. Um, but the so, movie, yeah. that movie's really cool because in a way, the, the way it works with its characters, it changes perspective in a way. Like, you'll kind of be with Elijah Wood for a little bit, and then you'll be with Zeke, uh, Josh Hartnett's character. And mm-hmm. then Jordana Brewster is actually really freaking good in that movie. Um, very charming. Uh, working alongside Elijah Wood on a lot of scenes. Um, you know, it, it's, got a, it's got a really good um, cast. And it, it, it's, it's very cool and slick and hip and everything like that. But it doesn't ever feel too desperate to try to be... 
um, in a lot of those scenes. Um, and it's it's a good script. It's one of Kevin Williamson's best, for sure. If not, yeah. it's probably best after Scream or something. I agree. And I I think it said slick and hip on the original DVD cover. I think that's where shut you Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> it probably no, because, did. Because literally on Holy every DVD shit. cover of, of like horror movies of the 90s, it said funny slick and scary or like something something to that regard you know (laughs) all right well i guess i'm up here i've been watching a ton of tv my wife doesn't watch too many movies but she'll be always watching tv before um she goes to bed and i'll throw on movies so we got through a couple series little fires everywhere on hulu it's kind of a drama um with reese witherspoon and carrie washington but has some kind of cool you know uh, drama thriller elements in it uh, also watching on Netflix right now. I don't know if either of you guys have seen it, but The Reckoning. It's about a made-up serial killer called the Russian River Killer, and it's this guy that um, strangles women on the river and then removes their tattoos as part of like his MO, and it's kind of creepy because you follow two or three characters, like obviously the police detective and then the killer, and it's really interesting. I should check it out. I think they just renewed it for a second season, so... Um, been watching that, and then as far as movies go, um, Paramount did not send me those titles, so if you're listening, please send those. <laughs> um, but I did get uh, Brahms the Boy 2 in from Universal, which i actually never seen the boy. Um, I've heard decent things about it, um, not so decent uh, things I've heard about this film. I, I hated the first one. Like, okay. the, the, the ending happened, and I was just <laughs> I was staring at the TV going, come on. Like so, just formulaic and yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a fan of the first one at all. I can Does see that. I think it's I think it's hard to do the doll movies. It's uh it's not like an easy thing where you can just kind of plug and play. It's like Annabelle has shown that you know it can be horrible or like the sequel. Some of them actually better than the original. So it's a tough thing to do. Yeah, unless you're uh, an established doll killer, you know, such as your Chucky's or Annabelle's, it's it's kind of hard to break into that mold. I feel like. An- but Annabelle does ahead. nothing, though. She does nothing. But I don't want to get into all that because I, whatever. <laughs> I, I like Chucky. But does doesn't Brahms the boy too have a connection to Tom Cruise in some way? Oh yeah, uh, Katie Holmes is in it, and <laughs> she, she's she's kind of dialing this one in. Like she, they don't even have her name on the cover. That's I think she's lost her star power in the recent years she's obviously you know what the title bill would bring you to the movie and she's not on the cover her name is not on the cover um she's on the back but kind of mails in her performance the first hour is pretty boring the doll doesn't do anything they just have like a door shut or his head moved and doesn't even move at all so that was kind of disappointing the last act i did like um kind of brought it a little bit together it has a cool feature uh, had this cool creature effect where um, they smashed his face off and he had like this demon, like, I don't know, like moving face and eyes. So they could have done something with that. But yeah, the story just was trying to tie it back in, um, I guess, to the original somehow. But, you know, it's, if there's nothing else on and you it shows up on HBO or Netflix, I would definitely put it on if there's nothing else to watch. But it wasn't the best. Um, I also got in a Mandy Steelbook that's coming out next week from uh, Best Buy and Amazon. So that one's pretty cool. Obviously a good movie. I need to rewatch that one. Have you seen that shit, Tyler? Oh yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a cocaine nightmare is, is what it is. LS, LSD, cocaine, heroin, all the drugs together, uh, for a wonderful nightmare. Um, oh, God. Um, 
and 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 honestly, I watched it, and I know you said you hated it. Hate it. Like you, you absolutely hated it. Hate it. But but like I don't, I didn't necessarily love it, but I didn't hate it like you. I kind of just had the, like I don't really know what to think right now. <laughs> like I need to go take a walk and like gather my thoughts type type situation. But uh, you know he's. He's really embracing those roles just in recent years, and he he literally does not care anymore, no. like what he t- like what he takes on, or you know just what he's in. Like he will throw all of his intensity into that performance, and you'll always get something good from him, even though the movie most of the time these days will be shit. Um, right. Until National Treasure Three, <laughs> hey. I'm, re- I'm ready for him to restill the uh, Declaration of Independence. Dude, I love those movies, at least the first one. <laughs> Um, yeah. uh, so that still book is pretty sharp looking though. I saw your Instagram post. It looks pretty sweet. That the backing and the gloss on that like magenta color or whatever that is is like really trippy. Yeah, it's got got the temporary tattoos of Cheddar Goblin too, which is pretty Ooh. funny. <laughs> but yeah, I was like kind of I was kind of in the middle in that one. It's like it tra- it went a little bit indie art house where there you know maybe the story was lacking or it had kind of a disjointed narrative, but it didn't go full that way. So it kind of tried to you know bring in regular viewers too with some of the action and what do you would call those like Cinnabikers kind of uh, Hellraiser type characters. But yeah. I, I I enjoyed it for what it was. I loved his scene where he chugged that whole fifth in the bathroom. <laughs> it was just going nuts. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I got that. Uh, I did. I did also get a code for um, what Gretel and Hansel from one of our followers. So shout out to Carlos. I'm just gonna check that one out. Uh, I also share my Voodoo account with my uh, mother-in-law, so she always gets to gets to see the movies I get for better or worse. But <laughs> um, the funny thing too, you mentioned about Emma. The weirdest thing happens to me sometimes with studios. They didn't send it to me, but then they send me an email to do a giveaway. Right. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll do the giveaway, but can you send it to me too? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> did they did they so, say yeah? Yeah, I mean, sometimes they do. I think I have it, had it happen once before. They sent it, and sometimes like we'll check our stock. Like, obviously you have stock if you're giving the shit away. But anyway, well, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. You, know, you never know with those, but yeah, I watched a couple of those and obviously, um, the three movies I have for, um, underrated horror gems, I checked out as well, but I'm with Tyler. Your, uh, your stack puts us to shame for the, uh, for the week here. It oh, I did. Epic week. I did buy Scoob. I forgot. I know we talked oh, about it before. Dude, I want to hear about that. I like Scooby-Doo, but I heard this is dog shit. No pun intended. Uh- <laughs> it's uh, it, it's tough. I, I for a kids movie, I think it works. They kind of throw in you know lots of songs, lots of funny moments. I think for a kids movie, it, it does its job, but it's not like the Pixar films where, as an adult or as you know more of a film critic, um, you're gonna enjoy like all of the the plots or the through lines. But for what it was, I thought it was good, and I just ended up paying the five extra dollars so I could own it. Cause you can rent it for 20 or buy it for 25. Right. So I bought it and with our daughter, we've already watched it three times. So money well spent. Oh. And, and <laughs> my daughter, uh, my daughter has been on a Scooby binge, like the original two, like live action films. Really? Uh, there's a, um, the, there's like a 2010, like, uh, um, um, there, there's a 2010, um, revival series on Netflix that she's been watching like all day, every day. And then of cool. course the new Scoob movie. So, uh, she's been on Scooby Overload lately. Um, <laughs> I, I I kind of enjoyed it. Um, you know, really? it 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 is what it is. Um, but uh, you know, I feel like Scooby is timeless. Like I I feel like he he can last in like any 
any any generation like you know he, he's been spanning for you know over 50 years and i feel like he'll be around for another 50 more so didn't it um, seem like they kind of set it up as like a like a rebirth of it right because you have all young actors except for bill Hader, um who plays shaggy but you have like you know zach efron in there and some other people and you didn't necessarily get into like the creepy kind of like you know haunted house that you're used to with scooby-doo but at the end of the movie they mentioned that their next task is to go check out i don't know if it was a haunted uh haunted ship or haunted a house so i think they're kind of using that to maybe rebrand it and start getting some movies out here every other year so i'm always game to watch them i prefer to rent it for six instead of 25 but you know at this point in time it is what it is (laughs) Um, I was a little bummed that uh, Matthew Lillard didn't come back uh, as Shaggy. You know, he's I saw him crying for, about that. Yeah, yeah, he was actually pretty, pretty pissed. What about was he it. saying? Uh, he, he, he was just saying how he wasn't asked back, and you know, he's been voicing Shaggy right. like in in like cartoons and you know, straight to you know, video movies of you know all the animated Scooby Doo's in recent years, and I guess they just never asked him to be in the movie. And you know, he's he's kind of iconic as the voice of Shaggy. Now. Right? Did he tweet uh, it? Did he tweet that or something like that? Uh, I I think he, he he said it in like a an offhand interview or something like that. M- Matthew oh, Lillard correct myself. Been... I was gonna say I said Bill Hader. It's actually Will Forte that that uh, that does the voice of it. And I thought he did a good job of, of it, but he, they didn't really go with the young there either. He's like the only old actor playing one of the main characters. Because everyone else is like Zac Efron and like you know. I mean, I guess Zac Efron uh, was in um, his 30s, but. Yeah, uh, Mark Wahlberg plays the uh, the Blue Falcon, which is awesome. His voice actually kind of reminds me of Deadpool in it, in the character, how he's set up. But also, Gina Rodriguez is in there, and then um, Jason Isaacs plays the um, plays the villain. So, some definitely some good okay. uh, some good actors. Uh, Amanda Seyfried is Daphne. <laughs> okay, so I want to ask you real quick. I don't want to get too much off of a sidetrack, but I am curious. Um, I I just recently acquired the. Scooby Doo movies with Freddie Prince Jr. and stuff like that because I had watched uh, all that '90s shit lately. Like I know she did last summer over the past month and all that stuff. So I was like, man, I really would like to watch these. They're written by James Gunn. Like, let's go for it. Um, are they crap? I haven't seen them in forever, and I don't know if I've even seen the second one. Um, I I've been watching them uh, recently uh, with my daughter, and. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're not very good. Very uh, very che- very cheesy, like junior yeah. high humor. Really? And you know what? I I really wish in the original like Scooby Doo treatment. You know, James Gunn originally had it very smartly written. Like, you know, he had like the tropes of like, you know, kind of like an adult oriented Scooby Doo. Like, you know, Shaggy was actually going to be a pothead. <laughs> like, Velma was actually going to be like a lesbian. Okay. Like, you know, he was really going to dive into that, like, you know, that that urban legend of Scooby-Doo that people always talk about, but it's sure. never outright said. I really wish they would have just leaned into that and gone like full, like adult camp instead of like this cutesy, you know, uh, fifth grade, you know, humor, you know, Scooby-Doo, which I don't think works uh, after after about 20 or 30 minutes. Um, really? But, uh but yeah, first one isn't good. Second one actually has a lot of callbacks to the original series, and it's fun. Like it, it, it has a lot of the original monsters, and it, it feels more like a Scooby Doo cartoon than the first one. So. I just wish they would make them something timeless, though, something that feels like timeless. Because to me, like the impression I got from the Scoob is like they're like referencing Netflix and all this other stuff, and you know all these like. Oh yeah, he. Current, um, I don't want to like, hear that. 
the villain calls uh, Zach Efron's character Fred. He calls him um, Poor Man's Hemsworth, and he goes Chris or Liam. <laughs> See, I mean that just is the no- like Fred is was around before Fred was around like before my dad probably. I don't know, like this, <laughs> maybe the late '60s or something like that. It's just kind of agitating to me like i want to feel that like timeless feel like i don't want them to use cell phones in the scooby-doo movies like they don't need to have talk about streaming services and stuff like what what purpose does that serve like the tone of scooby-doo but i don't know i mean trying trying to get the young audience i think what is the are are those shows that your daughter watches the reboot show is it terrible or is it like okay tyler Wait on the on the original Scoobies? No, the the reboot shows that you said your daughter's been watching. Like I think didn't you say there's a reboot show on Netflix or something like that? Oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the the uh, 2010 uh, series. I mean, it's it's not bad. Like you know, a lot of the stuff she watches is unbearable. Like I sure. can't watch it. But I but I can actually sit down with her and 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 watch some of those. Like they're not obnoxious and they're not loud and in your face. You know, like a lot of other kids shows these days Man. are. But uh, it's it's crazy to think of how much people like you know you don't really hear people talk about it too much except from this movie being out because there's nothing else to talk about movie wise except from like Capone which I have not seen either but I really want to um, yeah. is uh, man people love Scooby Doo you know like no matter what they, like the Scooby Doo movies where like the Harlem Globetrotters would come and like oh, yeah. solve mysteries with the Scooby Doo gang it's just cool man so. I was hoping to get some of that. I'll probably check it out. I'm gonna wait till I get a nice price drop or something like that. But I'm, um, I think I can hold out for a little bit. But I, I think it was really interesting. I wanted to hear, you know, it seems like it wasn't as successful as Trolls World Tour, but um, you know, no, what is what is what what is, no, what is successful? Not Avatar, you know. No, definitely not Avatar. <laughs> anyway, well, anyway. Um, yeah, we've we've gotten off track of uh, of the of the purpose of this podcast. So uh, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump us back on the Steer rails, the ship. And, uh, and I'll and I'll promise uh, a full episode of Scooby Doo uh, sometime down the line because we obviously have a bunch of uh, passionate thoughts about it. So. <laughs> yeah, oddly, <laughs> but, yeah. franchise ranking is what we need. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, we are going to uh, dive deep into uh, some hidden gems uh, of the horror world. Uh, these are films that uh, you know don't get mentioned uh, with your Freddies, with your Michaels, with your Jasons. Uh, they're a little bit uh, more obscure, a little bit more uh, cult classic uh, type films. So um, you know some of these you may have heard of, some of those uh, you might be uh, hearing about for the first time. But uh, you know we're going to try to uh, you know you give some good recommendations and uh we're actually going to split this episode into two parts um this uh first episode we're going to be doing uh, a lot of classic films uh from the 60s 70s and 80s and then uh next episode here in a couple weeks we're going to be doing uh some more modern favorites uh from the 90s uh 2000s and the 2010s so um we will jump right in with you cole I'm jumping in. I'm jumping in uh, feet first, uh, head first, whatever, man. Blood first. I don't know. This movie I watch is really effed up. It's a movie that I saw randomly at an Alamo Drafthouse free screening a few years ago here in Houston. Um, It's free on YouTube. So if you just want to Google this, um, this movie is available. It is a movie called The Witchfinder General with Vincent Price. Have you all ever heard of this movie? 
I had never heard of it. I actually hadn't either. And I actually went back and, you know, he has a ton of movies, you know, in his heyday in the 50s and 60s. And this was actually one that uh, had been glossed over for me. So, no, I hadn't. It's it's pretty good, uh, actually. Um, it's not like a Roger Corman movie or anything like that. But it's it kind of think like The Witch in a way. Um, it's about this lawyer named, I think his name is Matthew Hopkins. And that's Vincent Price. And he's this guy that kind of took it upon himself um, during this like English Civil War to say that he's hunting witches and he's using that as an excuse to like torture poor people essentially. Um, and it is really messed up. There's like torture scenes in this movie from 1969. Um, it was made by this pretty young filmmaker, and uh, this filmmaker he he actually died um, like nine months after the movie was made of like these barbiturate overdose and like heroin. He's like a big time like kind of trippy dude. And, um, you know, this movie's pretty good, actually. It, if you've seen The Witch, they really talk a lot about um, just the puritanical values of, like, what uh, America was founded upon, like, in terms of, like, the, the church and all that stuff. But these people, they came from, they came from England um, after the Civil War, and I think it's, like, the 1600s or something, um, which I'm not, like, a history buff, so I'm not exactly sure on that. But what I do know is that this is like a really intense film for the time. Um, it, it, you know, it's funny because of course I had seen like Monty Python before <laughs> I've seen this. So you're like watching this and you're like, oh, holy grail, like dun, 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 like coconuts and shit, <laughs> like <laughs> slapping, which is hilarious. Um, but this movie, yeah, man, they, they show like, there's a scene where uh, Vincent Price comes in and he always calls these people idolaters. Um, it, it's interesting because he like has these like puritanical values, but yet will like rape women and stuff like that. Uh, and use that as a, you know, his, his position as an excuse to say that he's like exacting God's will. It's really crazy stuff. Um, and in this film, he like, will get the, like this thing called like the mark of the devil and he'll just like stab people in the back with this like pick. He'll get these people to like stab them in the back and then, and perform these like torture rituals on them and um basically it just kind of becomes um a story where this knight um chases him down to like save his girlfriend um you know and get justice against this this lawyer who just is like this awful figure like terrorizing this land um he's kind of like a hans landa kind of dude think like that you know okay from inglorious bastards but um it's good. I mean, you should check it out um, if you're into that. At least watch a few scenes and hear Vincent Price's beautiful, beautiful voice, um, which I love. Oh, man. I love his um, voice. Every every single film that he's in, like, he just starts talking. And I can't help but just, like, just, like, listen in awe. Like, that man has such an awesome voice. Like, and, and he can use it toward horror or, or comedy or really, I mean, anything you know, that he was in, like, uh, he, uh, he's an icon, uh, and, uh, he is, he is definitely missed for sure. So, um, I mean, but yeah, you know, if, if you're into that, what Tyler just said, like, you should absolutely watch this fucking movie. It's free, you know, and it's fun and you can get into like a really cool YouTube rabbit hole because I did, um, after checking this out again, um, it was the second time I'd seen it. Um, and you know, it just, there's all these free old horror movies available that are like in public domain on YouTube. Um, some stuff yeah. that you've probably heard of too. I think Todd Browning's freaks is on there. Um, I don't think that movie, I think that movie's in public domain. 
Um, maybe Val Luton movies. Maybe I Walk with the Zombie is on there. Um, I can't remember. It, White, it's White actually, Zombie. It's actually how I watched um, um, Brain Dead, a.k.a. Dead Alive. Uh, when oh, we did uh, right. the uh, uh, episode uh, a few weeks back uh, about zombie movies. Uh, yeah, the the full unedited version uh, is is on you is on YouTube, and like that movie is very hard to find. Uh, it's been out of print, uh, I think, for several years. So um, I was actually very thankful that I could find it on YouTube because I couldn't. Find I'm gonna it have to else. do that now. This gives me another reminder. So yeah, man, YouTube they got a bunch of free shit on there. It's amazing. <laughs> it is. Way to set me up with a perfect uh, changeover here. The Val Luton um, was the producer on the film that I chose, which was 1957's Night of the Demon, a.k.a. Curse of the Demon, the United States by uh, Jacques Turner. So um, this one, he actually directed Cat People, I Walk With a Zombie, and The Leopard Man. Um, and I got turned on to this film from another podcast, actually, Just the Disc podcast had a... Re- mentioned the release from indicator um from the uk and it has this badass special release edition um that you can import actually from their website powerhousefilms.co.uk but it comes with like hard case reversible poster two discs four presentations of the film like the edited um one from uh, europe the u.s release it also has i think a couple commentaries discussions appreciations 80 page book just kind of crazy so definitely can appreciate when companies put out physical media with releases like that it took me like a full day to watch everything on here but um the film follows uh, dana andrews who plays a doctor and he's up against a uh, evil uh, other doctor actually named julian carswell who is suspected of leading a satanic cult and it's pretty cool it's a little bit talky obviously when you get to these older movies it's more it has like the noir vibes or the vibes where you know there's a lot of uh, interplay between the characters but um what we what we find out is that dr carswell may have special powers um and they have interaction where he gets uh, he gets him cursed by giving him a it's like a piece of paper that has a, a parchment that has runic writing on it that causes you to die in three days by a demon unless you can pass it back to the person who gives it to you. So this movie, they have some back and forth where he's essentially trying to give him back the parchment before he dies and um, pretty cool ending. But the effect that they use on here for 1957 is awesome. The Apparently the studio did not want him to try to do it because they thought it looked cheap, but it's like a Godzilla looking like 40 foot tall demon that just comes out of the fog and just runs you down and end of it. It's actually on a train. So it was really interesting to watch and uh, a nice little gem that I'd never heard about until I heard it mentioned on the podcast. And now I've already seen it three times since I bought it last year. So definitely recommend it if you're into the, uh, the Val Lutons or want to discover something new here. I actually uh, pulled up uh, a clip um, of this film uh, earlier today because I hadn't seen it and I just wanted to you know get a, a vibe of what it was and I actually pulled up that final scene with the demon mm-hmm. and and yeah first thing I thought was that is great special effects for 1957 mm-hmm. like like pretty pretty damn effective um, you know and you know your your Ed Woods at the time could could definitely you know put out some just horrible looking effects and just you know schlocky looking creatures and stuff but but that actually worked, uh, in in my opinion. So yeah, I actually need to check out the the whole film now. 
Yeah, the uh, Wikipedia says it came in the U.S. market and they shortened it down by like 10 minutes. So they could play it on double bills with uh, True Story of Lynn Stewart and Revenge of Frankenstein. So that's pretty cool. I love it. It's a good-ass movie. I have not seen that since college, but um, very trippy, and I definitely had a very late night one night um, watching that, maybe under the influence of just <laughs> horror, under the influence of horror. That, that'd be a great that'd be a great way to see it because the guy like you don't know what to believe like this guy's like I'm gonna cast a storm and he does it and the other guy just calls out his bullshit and then he gives him the piece of parchment in his pocket to get him killed because he doesn't doesn't want him to reveal the satanic cult to everybody so definitely a good release and if you can pick up the uh, the indicator blu-ray I recommend that cool uh, we'll move on to my uh, earliest pick. Um, hadn't actually seen this movie uh, until uh, the last couple of days, but I had always heard about it. Uh, so I was like, you know, I didn't want to do uh, all movies that I had seen, uh, you know, a few times. So I, I, I decided to pick one uh, that I hadn't, which is uh, 1962's uh, Carnival of Souls. And um, this was directed by a guy named Herc Harvey. Uh, this was actually his only uh, feature film. Uh, he came from a background of doing, remember those uh, 50s, like, um, uh, kind of like um, um, educational videos, like Little Tommy uh, yeah. is, you know, growing up and, you know, it, 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 it basically spelled out. Yeah, after school specials and, you know, the dangers of drugs and peer pressure and, and all that good stuff from the 50s. So he had done a ton of that um, in the in the 50s and early 60s. Uh, and he decided to try his his hand uh, at a feature length horror film. Um, so this film, um, it, it's very very atmospheric. Has a very creepy um, psychological uh, just feel about it. Um, you know, I, I don't feel like a bunch of films uh, in the '60s were able to carry that vibe as well as this one did. Um, you know, uh, basically the story is uh, this young girl. Um, her name's Mary. Uh, she gets into a really bad car accident and, uh, she somehow miraculously survives. And, uh, pretty soon after, uh, she relocates to a new city and, uh, all the while, uh, you know, she starts a new job over at the church and all the while she's just, she's being followed by these, these ghouls, these ghosts, um, these very creepy looking figures, uh, that keep following her. Uh, she doesn't know if they're real uh, if they're not, if this is all in her mind, um, and and some very cool imagery uh, that um, you know the, the uh, you know director uses um, ha- has a very gothic feel to it. Um, you know, with all the set pieces and there's a very uh, creepy organ soundtrack. You know, she actually plays the organ uh, at at the church, and uh, so there's a, a mostly organ soundtrack to it. And I don't know about you but organ music is just kind of very off-putting to me um it just kind of you know just creates a a a weird a weird feeling for me but uh yeah there are uh no special effects in this film no gore uh it was only made on a budget of about thirty thousand dollars um and uh but it works um you know has has some very just you know creepy psychological scenes where like you don't know if this woman is going insane or you know if you know uh something more sinister is 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 happening to her um it definitely almost reminded me of like a long twilight zone episode it 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 definitely had that feel to it 
um, you know, of, of certain events triggering, uh, you know, what we find out in the end. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, filmmakers such as, uh, George Romero, David Lynch and James Wan have all said that, uh, they looked at this film as uh, a pretty big influence on, you know, some of their work. Um, so I thought that was a pretty cool, um, you know, piece of information. Um, but yeah, this kind of got lost in the shuffle over the years uh, and didn't really get a proper release. And then uh, in the late 90s, uh, mid, mid-2000s, mid it actually got some some decent re-releases and started becoming more of a cult classic. Um, and it was also remade in 1998 um, as one of those many uh, Wes, Wes Craven presents, uh, you know? I feel, <laughs> like Wes, I, I feel like Wes Craven did that on like, 10 movies in, in the, in the nineties. Uh, he just slapped his name on it and, and, and got paid for it. But, uh, yeah, that, that movie's not good. So don't watch that. But, uh, have any of you guys seen this film? I have had this Blu-ray in my hand like five times on the Criterion Collection sale because I try to buy all of their horror thriller movies. Like I have a uh, Mulholland Drive, Night of the Living Dead, Silence of the Lambs, Rebecca, you know, Don't Look Now, but I just had never pulled the trigger on it, but I'm really interested to see it. It looks like the Criterion Collection release of it is, is pretty, pretty good with the 4K transfer and tons of special features. So I'll add it to my list. I've never seen it at all. But I have seen Mulholland Drive, um, and, I, hey. <laughs> and I do, uh, am very always confused by that movie, but I love it. Um, no, I haven't seen it, but I think it sounds pretty great. Um, I didn't even know this was actually on Criterion, so I'm like way behind um, on the Carnival of Souls game, so I need to catch up. Cat- Tyler, where did you say you saw it? Uh, it's actually on Prime right now uh, oh, for free. Um, nice. So if if you have Prime, uh, it is readily available. It's actually available in black and white or in color. Uh, mm. I guess they re I, I I guess they remastered it uh, into into color uh, about ten years ago. Um, I watched the um, original black and white version because I just felt like you know the, the first time you got to watch it how it was originally meant to be seen. But yep. uh, but yeah, um, just. She's she's being called uh, to this kind of creepy, uh, you know, um, place. It, it used to be like a, you know, carnival, uh, you know, spot, hence Carnival of Souls. Um, and every time she goes to visit this like abandoned carnival ground, it, it it's 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 very effective, just very, uh, you know, you can just tell there's something very sinister, something very foreboding is, is happening. I'm not going to give away the ending, but, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of films like in the, in the sixties and seventies didn't use that, you know, psychological horror as, as well as this film did. Um, I've, and, and now I know why filmmakers like Romero and Lynch definitely have said that, you know, this was an early influence for them. So, um, yeah, definitely check it out. Uh, you will not regret it. Hell yeah. Okay, cool. I, I guess it's my turn again, isn't it? It is. Dude, I swear I'm the worst at that of all time. Right. I just get I, I really do get caught up in the conversation, so it's like, oh yeah, right. It's it's my turn. It's my turn. No, it's fun. It's fun. You can uh slide into uh, the disco era of the seventies. Oh, I, I will be sliding into the disco era. This movie has a lot of pleated pants, lots of plaid jackets, lots of poofy hair, lots of yellow cabinets, and it's the whole thing because this movie is all about the American dream in the seventies. Uh but it's a horror movie. Um, and it kind of talks about these, um, it, it's an interesting movie. I guess I should just go ahead and say what it is. It's, uh, it's, it's alive from 1974, uh, by the 
filmmaker Larry Cohen, who just died not too long ago. He is an excellent filmmaker that did the stuff. Cue the Winged Serpent. Um, I believe he wrote Maniac Cop and Maniac Cop 2. Uh, Black Caesar, you name it. Um, this guy is a, is a drive-in legend, um, as they say. A great, great filmmaker. I was able to go to a really cool Q&A with him one year uh, before he passed. And he's a really strange individual. Um, and there's even like a documentary called King Cohen about him. He's fantastic. He's, he's great. I love him. Uh, this movie is so cool. Um, and I watched it. I have this uh, trilogy. Um, I showed you guys. I'll show you again. This trilogy. It's a live trilogy from Scream Factory. Um, it's a great Blu-ray set. Um, I think that all three of these films are really different. And this one starts off, the first one, uh, in 1974. And it really kind of is about this couple who is uh, on their second kid. They're having their second child. They had a long gap. So they're older parents. Um, and it's funny because, you know, I look at us and I don't have kids, but like, you know, you two guys, like, you know, we're, we're a certain age at this point, but we, um, we don't look, I guess we look like a modern dad, but just the dads that they show in these movies, they're balding. They have lines on their face. They look like they're 50, but yet they're still having kids. (laughs) Yeah. They just look like just the typical dad that you would see. And so this movie's really about like the anxieties of having a kid because, you know, spoiler alert, the kid is deformed and starts killing people. Um, and so it really kind of is about the disintegration of that dream in that era and just the fears and anxieties of being a parent. Um, and Larry Cohen is like a very, uh, economic filmmaker. Uh, the opening is like badass looking and it's all these like weird lights going around and it turns out he just did it with flashlights. Um, so the set like reveals all these really cool secrets. Um, and so it's, it's a cool movie has a really dark ending. Um, you know, the dad like essentially, um, hates this kid eventually, you know, at the start, but eventually starts to come around to sympathize for it. And, you know, that's not, I mean, it's a spoiler, but, you know, this movie's really all about atmosphere and mood and emotion and building to like really fucked up birthing scenes. So, you know, fans of movies like The Unborn would like this, or uh, there's a movie called Stillborn that's on Shudder. That it's a Canadian movie that people would really like a lot. But this movie um, is, is totally original. Um, and you know the sequel really takes a different turn as well and then the third one becomes kind of schlocky it's the island of the alive um and it's just like these like walking monster mutant things and it's cool it's larry cohen shit it's just crazy grindhouse cinema uh, but this one I, you know it's released by warner brothers all these are released by. so this was like a big movie but it played for a long time at drive-ins that's what it was and it was a creepy um mood piece you know so I liked watching it a lot. Um, I've seen it a few times. Um, so I was finishing it up before we went to record. And um, I really like the ending of it. So, you know, if you guys have not seen It's Alive, um, you should just go spend 40 bucks on the box set right now. I mean, what else you got to do? So I have um, not. So, yeah, it's um, cool. I've, yeah, I've, I've seen it. Uh, and I was telling you uh, right before we started uh, recording, I always get It's Alive and uh, Basket Case yeah. uh, mixed up, uh, you know, because they're kind of, kind of uh, in, the, in the same vein a little bit. Uh, they are. Got, uh, you know, you've got a deformed creature, you know, being cared for, you know, for its, uh, from its, you know, surrogate parent, um, you know, kind of in the same vein. Um, but yeah, this movie is uh, super creepy. Uh, I feel like the early 70s uh, to... To early 80s were definitely the the prime time for you know creepy mutant children or like deformed kids that you know all they needed was some love uh or else you know they'd you know start murdering people um 
this uh eraser head you know basket case you know stuff oh, like yeah. that a lot of a lot of creepy creepy uh kids but uh, also rick baker did yes. uh the special effects uh for the creature uh rick baker is a uh is a legend uh in the in the special the effects guy. And makeup world he He's is the, the guy him and tom savini i guess maybe him and tom savini tom who who might appear later uh, oh on one of my picks he he might be a special guest at the end of this podcast um, Might be. <laughs> um Stay no, tuned, yeah, it, know. it's alive is really cool um yeah you brought up basket case a movie that i love with every fabric of my being which has a, another which has a trilogy as well um but i'll talk more about the director of that movie uh in my next pick um but um basket case oh my god it's it that's one of my favorites that's like yeah. absolutely one of my favorites it's insane and uh also one more um excerpt uh bernard herman did the score for this right. movie and uh you know bernard herman uh famous for the psycho score and you know several other of hitchcock's films uh his music is always very uh very effective in in every film that he scores so um another blurb that i wanted to add there yeah you got just, to re- just reading about this plot makes me want to see it immediately after birth it kills the doctors and the nurses and delivery and flees through his skylight and lenore's left <laughs> alive and her screaming for her child as frank discovers the carnage i'm all in on that yeah man it's frank is fantastic he uh, that actor who plays it i don't i can't remember his name but uh, he's Frank. He's the dad, Frank, whatever. Um, but he, um, he he comes back for the second one, too. And, oh, man, it, it's things get pretty hairy. It, it's like a whole, like, soap opera saga, um, these first two movies. So it's cool stuff. Nice. All right. So for my 70s pick, um, I chose Alice, Sweet Alice by Alfred Soul from 1976 aka communion aka holy terror so uh this movie i'd been on my radar for a while um i'd always seen it on people's lists that they do for around like halloween or um different things like that and heard it was one of the earlier slashers so i saw it first when arrow sent me the blu-ray for it which is another awesome release um cool slipcover poster um tons of other features but this is one of the first kind of slasher proto slashers got brooke shields in her uh film debut and it kicks off with oh yeah that cover is awesome um the film kicks off with karen played by brooke shields getting strangled to death during her first communion then she's stuffed in a bench and set on fire so we have kind of a crazy opening for it and then from there it's a little bit of a um whodunit or kind of you know trying to figure out who the killer is there is a great character in this movie called um I think it's Mr. Alphonse or Mr. Alfonso. He's the landlord and he lives below um, the family who is kind of going through this um, death of their child. And he's this like fat, ugly dude who has like piss stains or like stains all over his clothes. And they go down to see him a couple times, talk about rent. And he like tries to grope and molest the girls. He's just a miserable character. But um, the movie is has some great kills in it. There's a crucifix being stuffed in a mouth, a guy being thrown out a window, some cool stabbings, but it's just an early, um, an early classic that everyone should see just to kind of see where the where the slasher genre came from. Obviously, in 1976, it came out before Halloween, but it's not technically like the by the numbers slasher because it's all 
ends up being the um, a character that that is known to everyone. So a little bit different there, but um, had to pick this one in there. Definitely a under underseen movie, even if it has become a cult classic, which. I think we talked about before is kind of the problem with some of these films is especially for the community that kind of listens to podcasts and is like us, it's hard to find stuff. It's not all these movies are, you know, they get a big, uh, great Blu-ray release. So they get re-released and everyone sees them and like, Oh, this isn't underseen. But, um, for me, I'd never seen it. So I thought it was a good one to add on my list. Either of you guys seen this one? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a while. Uh, I haven't seen it in about probably 15 years. So I'm, I'm a little rusty on it, but, uh, from what I do remember, um, yeah, this was kind of uh, pre pre you know slasher craze uh, of the late seventies and early eighties. Um, super super creepy mask uh, that that mask that she wears uh, throughout the movie. I I love it. I know that uh, pretty much you know the trope of every slasher film in the eighties was you know you had to have a different unique mask or like a different calling card like of the yep. killer. So I think this kind of you know, you know, this and Halloween and, you know, Friday and, and all those kind of, you know, started the trend of, you know, the killer has to have a, you know, distinguishing feature uh, about it. But uh, yeah, from what I remember, um, you know, super, super atmospheric, um, you know, really kind of leaned on uh, uh, a lot of Catholic uh, imagery and, you know, stuff like that. I, I think it was originally called um, um, Communion, wasn't it? Yeah, and actually, I actually like that title better. I think that's more fitting for it. But you know, Alice, sweet Alice, is what it is now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, Brooke Shields uh, in her film debut, uh, you know, and she she does great. Uh, I I think you could definitely tell that she was something special uh, and that she'd you know go on to be in uh, bigger and better things down the line. Better. How about the like uh, Blue Lagoon? Like exactly like Blue Lagoon. There you go. It's got a great tagline too. Psycho, The Omen, Carrie, and now Communion. <laughs> um, I like the uh, title Alice, Sweet Alice, personally. It's like, let's scare Jessica to death. Yeah. Or don't torture a duckling. <laughs> These like weird titles. Isn't it an Italian production ha- movie? Mm-hmm. Or Happy Birthday to Me. Happy birthday to me is fantastic. I have that one on my shelf. Um, yeah, these Italian movies—they can never decide on a fucking title. It's crazy. Nope. Yeah, yeah, they have like eight names. Yeah, and, and like, yeah. I watched. Um, I'll briefly say this. I watched Deep Red the other day, the Argento movie. Um, oh, and those yeah. Italians, man, they just—I <laughs> try, I try so hard to get into them. But this one's—is uh, it more story? Um, is there? There's it just style. Yeah, it's not as crazy as, as some of the other ones. Obviously, coming um, earlier, they don't rely on some of the the heavy gore or you know the crazy elaborate kills. Um, you know, more of kind of like sure. a stabbings or things like that. But you can definitely tell with kind of the score and how the film's shot, how they follow characters. You know, what's happening. There's a lot of like. You know, is it the is it the sister that's doing it? Is it you know this creepy landlord that lives below that's total piece of shit, or who is it? And the reveal is good. I won't spoil it. So if you guys want to check this one out, I thought the reveal was interesting and a um, a pastor. Oh, sorry, uh, I don't know what they call it here. Whoever the um, father is, Father Tom, um, has a great uh, great ending. You don't usually see um, priests get stabbed to death, but hey, there you go. That's cool. Cool. Um, yeah, we're going to get into, uh, some not as serious, uh, aspects of, of my seventies pick. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because, uh, I, I picked this movie because, 
uh, I actually thought it was freaky back in the day. And then I rewatched it uh, here recently and didn't quite have the same effect that it did on me back in the day. I hate when movies do that, when you think something is super creepy and effective and then you follow up on it, you know, as you get older and it just doesn't have the same pop that it did. But uh, uh, so be it. Uh, I did uh, The Town That Dreaded Sundown um, from 1974. Uh, this was directed by uh, a guy named Charles B. Pierce, uh, also famous for doing uh, the early 70s creature feature, The uh, Legend of Boggy Creek, uh, which is another pretty uh, decent gem in its own right. Uh, has a pretty cool uh, you know, synopsis of a, of a Bigfoot uh, style creature uh, in, a, in a swamp, but, uh, but, but I digress. Um, yeah, this movie is based on uh, the true crime uh, of the uh, 1946 uh, Texarkana uh, Moonlight Murderers, or murders, I should say. Um, this is actually a, a series of murders that took place uh, in a small uh, Texas-Arkansas border town called Texarkana. Um, a killer over uh, about two months uh, did stalk and kill uh, five or six people. Uh you know, over the course of several weeks, uh, you know, uh, the Texas Rangers ended up getting involved, like the FBI, you know, ended up getting involved, like people were afraid to, you know, leave their house. Um, it, it turned into a really serious deal. Um, and the calling card of this killer was he had uh, a, a sack mask uh, um, and would, you know, kind of stalk his victims on these, you know, lovers lanes and, you know, teens who were, you know, trying to, you know, get busy on, you know, some deserted roads and he would, you know, stalk them and, you know, end up, end up killing some of them. Um, but this film definitely has a, a very different perspective. It's almost told from a documentary type, you know, perspective, which, you know, I, I know that, you know, true crime is, is all the rage these days and, you know, uh, diving deep into, you know, serial killers, you know, psyche, but, uh, you know, the, I think this was one of the first, feature link films that kind of, uh, implored this, you know, documentary style, uh, you know, um, along with it, like you have a narrator basically saying like all the details and facts of these true events while, you know, it's kind of played out, uh, in front of you, uh, in the film. And, uh, you know, the, the killer and, and, and all the scenes involving the killer are very, you know, pretty, pretty effective for the most part. He's, he's, uh, super creepy. Uh, that baghead, uh, you know, that he has was actually the, uh, inspiration for Jason in Friday the 13th part two with his baghead, um, which I've always, uh, enjoyed that aspect of, but, uh, yeah. Um, but then you get to some of the, uh, the not so good parts of the movie. Uh, it has a very lame, like comedic aspect to it. Uh, a lot of just very cheesy humor. Uh, um, a lot of the cops play very Keystone cop characters, um, you know, with a bunch of cheesy dialogue. And like, I mean, you can tell that these are not, uh, you know, professional actors um, outside of like the two or three leads. Uh, these are definitely people who have not acted in a film before. And you can definitely tell um, as some of their dialogue just falls completely flat. Um that um, cops cross-dressing to uh, trying to catch this killer, uh, you know, just certain things just, you know, it's, it's very seventies and, you know, we hadn't uh, hit our stride, you know, with these, you know, serial killer, you know, horror films yet. And so this kind of uh, was an early uh, example of that, but uh, yeah, just, you know, 
they don't quite gel in the film and you know it, it does tend to drag it down uh and and you can't quite you know get that you know sense of dread you know throughout the film because you know of that you know uh comedy uh you know intertwined with it but you know it, it still has some very uh, effective sequences one of the uh craziest scenes is where uh the killer um ends up stalking this young couple kills kills the guy ties up uh the girl to a tree she's in a band so she gets he gets out her trombone ties a knife to the end of the trombone and starts playing the trombone and stabbing her in the back with this trombone knife and the whole time you're just like what the fuck is going on but but yeah it's 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 super super creepy and you know uh that was one of the best kills of the movie um but yeah, and and much like the fact that uh, they never found out who uh, this killer was uh, in in these murders, we don't we do not find out uh, who the killer is in this movie. Is it ends in a mystery? Um, but uh, yeah, definitely a, a, a weird film from the seventies. But it it has some entertaining aspects uh, as well. I like the uh, the storyline uh, of this movie, and also has a decent remake by uh, by Blumhouse. Um, Ryan Murphy and Jason Blum produced it, but um, I do like the I, remake. I think it's really cool how they have it set up. I mean, it's like the Lubbers Lane kills are cool, and some super creepy stuff. I remember, I think in the original, he like is biting one of the victims, where he like mm-hmm. they said he literally chewed at some point, and how he attacks every twenty one days. You have a prom scene in there. Obviously, that kill that you mentioned is. Um, is insane, but I think it's a really cool story. And like you mentioned, it's hard for some of these ones that are scary when you first see them and aren't necessarily um, as scary when you see them now. But I'm still a still a big fan of this, and uh, definitely enjoyed this and the remake. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, slashers are are, are definitely my wheelhouse. Um, so you know, growing up, I always tried to catch you know any and and, and all that I could. And the fact that this one was you know set in Texas. Uh, you know, where, you know, I've, I've pretty much lived all my life. Um, I don't know. It just kind of had that, you know, personal feel to it of, oh, this really happened. Like, you know, this was in Texas only, you know, a few hours down the road. So, um, you know, I, I, I definitely thought it was more scary. Uh, you know, when I watched it when I was younger, uh, definitely didn't get that same feeling uh, watching it uh, this last time. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very unique tale, you know, on a, you know, kind of documentary style, you know, perspective, uh, you know, of these, you know, uh, horrific events that happened, uh, you know, 60, 70 years ago. So uh, if that's something that, uh, you know, catches your eye, then uh, I definitely say go for it. And and the remake is good too, Max, uh, as, as well. I thought, uh, you know, that was one of Blumhouse's uh, first remakes, I think, uh, you know, before they've just gone full ham in, in recent years. But yeah, it's, it's actually pretty pretty effective too what? they got a great great tagline uh, 1946 the man that killed five people today he still lurks the streets of texar texarkana and i was yeah. reading about it too before the podcast that uh the officials there threatened the director over the uh over the ad title but he kept it in there and i definitely like that it's a cool that you don't see who it is and they don't know who it is and they don't try to you know pretend like they do and act like he's still out there kind of a texas chainsaw feel where they make it feel like it's real and that this person exists so and he actually does, I guess. So who knows? Yeah. So they never caught him in real life. Is that the deal? No, no. He uh, he he uh, he attacked ten people, 
Five of them died. Like the Texas Rangers and FBI ended up getting involved, but and then the killing stopped, and they never, they never found him. They never found out who so he was. So do you think so. he just stopped killing? I mean, that's right. I mean, like Mindhunter. I mean, I mean, I think I think the pressure pretty much got you know too much for him. Like there was too too much police presence and you know too uh, too much exposure uh, in the town. So I I feel like if he had had probably done it again, he would have gotten caught. So he probably sure. wised up and, uh, and quit crazy. while he was ahead. Well, it's crazy yeah. to think about like that. Somebody who is like a feral animal biting somebody to kill them um, would have a thought process that would like include logic <laughs> you know what i mean like it's just that's what's, yeah that's what's creepy you know um yeah, remind sure. me what what movies have blumhouse remade there's like one that's really popular from a really popular franchise what's it called again i'm just kidding just kidding <laughs> is it set on like a holiday or something is, yeah it's like a holiday anyway that's really dumb um, because yeah, for, yeah, the reason why i thought about that is because for a second i was like what did blumhouse remake and then i was like oh yeah duh Duh. I had to like think about it for a quick second. <laughs> so anyway, I guess it's my turn. It is your turn. Well, shit, fellas. Uh, this is my favorite movie um, that I am recommending of all these films. Uh, this is a movie that is available on Shudder right now, along with Basket Case. But I implore you to go purchase the Arrow Blu-ray of this one. Okay, I recently rewatched this over the weekend. Actually, as Tyler was texting me to uh, come on the show and talk about these films. And that movie is Brain Damage from 1988, I believe, um, by Frank mm-hmm. Hinnen- by Frank Hinnenlauter, um, who directed Basket Case. Um, this guy is amazing. He made three incredible movies um, that I love. Um Two that I really, really love, but three that are worth noting, mainly because it's called Frankenhooker. I mean, what a great title <laughs> is Frankenhooker. Um, his his big his big three are uh, Basket Case, Brain Damage, and Frankenhooker. So, anyway, this guy just knows movies and he knows exploitation films and he uses it so well in Brain Damage. It's basically a movie about. Drug use, drug addiction. Um, it t- you know it takes place in the '80s in New York, and around the time that there was like "Just Say No to Drugs," all this other shit going on. And uh, this film is about this guy who's just snoozing in his room. He says he's sick. Lives with his brother, I believe, and uh, his girlfriend comes over to to go on a date. Uh, he says he's not feeling well. Sends his brother out in his stead to take his lady out for a night of dancing and a concert. Um, and it comes out, turns out that um, in the first 10 minutes, um, in this apartment building, which like in Basket Case pretty much takes place in an apartment building as well, um, this weird little creature, um, this l- weird slug-looking guy named Elmer, lives in bathtubs. He was living in this old Jewish, Russian-Jewish couple's uh, house, and they lose Elmer. They freak out because what Elmer does is he sings, for one. Um, he's voiced by this guy named Zachary, who used to do like a TV hosting kind of thing, like monster movie, late night hosting stuff. Uh, look up Zachary. You can watch like clips of him on online. Um, he's a really cool guy. Um, and so he, what, what Elmer does, this little blue little fucker, is he'll climb up the side of your... And he asks you if he can do this. He says, hey, can I do this? And 
You say, yeah, oh. sure. Oh, so he gets permission first. Yeah, he oh, gets that's... permission. Yeah, he gets permission. But when he does, he gets in the back of your, your brain right here. And he drills this little prong, prong into the back of your head and injects this blue liquid. And it ignites your brain to a point where you're seeing colors, you're seeing senses. All your senses are reacting differently. But this movie is just so badass because the imagery, that late night hazy feeling. You know, have you ever had like been like burning off a gnarly fever? Like that's what this movie feels like. Um, but yet it has this cool creature aspect to it, which is what I love so much about Basket Case, the Basket Case films as well, particularly the first one. Um, but this one. Uh, the character design of Elmer is just incredible. It does this really cool stop motion where it shows his process of like injecting himself into um, this guy's brain. And the lead performance um, is is absolutely fantastic. This guy, he ended up being like just like a soap uh, soap opera actor. But um, he this was his first movie. And it's kind of amazing because like the level of commitment that they get out of him is like Rick Hurst that's his name I knew it was on the tip of my tongue I had to look it up um, but uh, yeah I mean he really commits to just going absolutely cuckoo bananas and the last two minutes of the movie are um, I mean fuck it they're mind blowing just just I'll say it. it's mind blowing since it's called brain damage um, <laughs> but I love it I love it it's so fun it's on shutter it's an hour and a half long um, it is like a horror necessity to see, in my opinion. Um, and sometimes it'll show at like Alamo Draft House if, if you're lucky um, when theaters open. But watch it on Shutter. And um, there is also a um, if you guys like Joe Bob Briggs, he did a um, episode on the movie where he hosted the movie. Um, it was really good as well. Um, so yeah, check that out. Um, Man, I, I just love this filmmaker, Frank Kinnenlauter. I mean, this movie and Basket Case are just such a fantastic double feature. Um, three hours, and your brain will be melted, and you will feel like you're drunk, so you might not even need any sort of help getting intoxicated. That's how crazy this you, movie is. So You weren't kidding about Rick Hurst. Beverly Hills, 90210, Charmed, Young and the Restless, yeah. General Hospital, Daytime Divas from 2017, so he's, he's still at it. This dude, yeah, but he kills it, and um, he kills it in Brain Damage. He, he really commits to it, and you know they really ask him to do a lot of very strange, weird sounds, you know, and like, you know, think about it, like, you know, it, this isn't Steven Spielberg asking you to do this. This is some guy who just like sees Grindhouse movies and like has a small budget, and is just an independent filmmaker. So you know, he put all of his trust in this director. Uh, Frank in the lotter and it shows man and that's what it takes and that's what's so good about basket case too is the commitment from the actors and the non-actors um, in the movie uh, so you know I really urge everybody to see these movies um, and take a look at Elmer he's fucking awesome he's like such a cool such a cool um, character design I love him I love him so much it's it's really an original idea because the the whole thing with when he injects them is it's like you mentioned about drug influences you get a high from it and you need it again and you keep needing him to do it and they have a really cool scene where I think he's in his apartment and they flood the whole entire thing with blue water yeah during one of kind of his trip outs and also like you mentioned kind of about exploitation films there's a hilarious scene because when he injects you he says I'm not going to do this again unless you go find me victims who I can eat their brains and not inject them but just eat them and there's a couple cool kill scenes but there's one in particular where he goes to a club and he gets this girl out 
and Elmer crawls his way from his brain into his pants and she's about to give the dude a blowjob and he goes into her mouth and eats her brain and it's just one of the most over the top insane ridiculous scenes ever and you know I was going to say he didn't rape anyone like uh, the guy from Basket Case but I guess that might be considered that who knows <laughs> well yeah it's pretty 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 close pretty close yeah um you know, I, I, I haven't seen this film. You know, I, I have seen, you know, the uh, first two or three basket cases. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely a fan uh, of, you know, Frank Cannonlauder. Uh Basket case is insane. Um, and I have a feeling that this film uh, is, is no different. So uh, you've actually talked it up and actually have me pretty, uh, pretty pumped to watch it. So watch it. Um, yeah, it'll it'll definitely be a, a late night feature. Absolutely, dude! It's so great to put on at like eleven thirty at night, ten o'clock or eleven at night, something like that. Like it, it plays so well um, at that time. And if you doze off watching it, it's even trippier. So be careful. What is it with like some of those like creature features from from the eighties that? Like they're only watchable like late at night, like that. I've always thought that's like fascinating. To yeah, me. or with a group, know? like you mentioned, the Alamo Draft Houses. This one would definitely play better with a crowd than just watching it on your laptop or on your TV at home. So I was able to see it in a theater a couple of years ago. Um, I think I've seen it like three or four times or something like that. But um, yeah, I saw it um, at my local Alamo when we're open. They do a weekly series called Graveyard Shift, and they'll show a single movie, sometimes double feature, and. I've been to probably a hundred of those screenings or something like that, and yeah, they, they kick ass, and it's awesome to watch with a with a crowd. Eighties creature features are like some of my favorite types of horror movies, though. I love that oh, yeah. sort of artistry. Um, there's something there's something about it, like you know, once I realized uh, the image of what the image of Elmer looked like, that's what like was my entrance point to the film. Same with Basket Case. I was I love that kind of stuff, um, and I guess Chucky as well. So yeah, yeah. Gotta love the movie critics, though. Like, every, people like it in the movie critics. Um, Walter Goodman, New York Times, calls it a quote-unquote brainless movie with poor special effects and bad acting. And uh, wow. LA Times critic, it's a variable, crazy cult of ideas that managed to engage our intention while our heads continue to dart away from the shocking images on the screen. I always love the movies who they're kind of not made for. You know, it's not made for a, a film critic to, to sit down and, and take a, a critical eye at it. So I always find those quotes funny from Roger Ebert and all those good people on the, on their well, thoughts. They just missed the films. point. They just missed the point mm -hmm. of it. I mean, there, there is so much to movies like this. I mean, you can shit on Absolutely. any type of film, but you have to, like, this is what I tell colleagues that I'm friends with is that you have to take a movie for what it is. Like, you know, if, you know, if Extraction is, if you're going to put that against, like, you know, Phantom Thread or something like that, I mean, come on. Like, it's just not going to, to hold up in the same way. But, like, what Extraction is doing is... That was a know, shit. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And same with Brain Damage. Brain Damage is looking to be exploitation. It is looking to push those boundaries and to really find um, meaning in some, like, really abstract fucked up trashy imagery and i think that's possible i mean look john waters made a whole career off of doing that so you know uh, well my next one from the 80s here is a film by a director that this is his only movie attended richmond college in staten island and made this little film called uh, madman from 1982 um, I found this movie a couple of years ago. I missed it, you know, obviously early on. Um, but it is just a 
take kind of taking advantage of the campers, um, you know, urban legend stock and kill, uh, film. It has a great song that is like the killer's theme song that I'm going to post probably at the end of this episode here. So, um, definitely check that out, but it's a movie where there's an urban legend that there is a killer of a guy named Madman Mars who murdered his wife and kids with an ax and was going to hang, but broke free and escaped into the woods. And he's by the woods in this campground and they tell the story and no one believes them and I think they kind of call out to him to to come back and someone throws a rock through his window and what do you know he decides to uh to come back and start offing some teens it's perfect early 80s there's a scene with these two camp counselors in this like ridiculous hot tub and the camera just circles around them for like five minutes of them just you know hooking up in a hot tub um so there's that but there's just some great kills in this uh head inside of a car when someone's when uh, the car obviously doesn't work so he tries to get into the uh, the hood to see what's going on and gets decapitated so tons of great scenes great theme song uh, i think a what studio put this out uh, there's a new uh, blu-ray of it i think it's from code red that um that i've seen before and it's really good but um have either of you guys seen madman mars i have I have. It's all uh, right. It's it's pure eighty slasher. Um, <laughs> you know, you can't get more more eighty slasher than this. Um, yeah, um, has a has a very slight connection uh, to uh, my eighties film pick uh, that I'll uh, dive into a little deeper here in a minute. But uh, yeah, I mean, what can you say? Um, it uh, it you know checks all the boxes. Um, you know, slasher. Uh, you know, killer. Um, you know, interesting backstory, uh, killing off teens near a campground. Um, you know, what, what more can you say? <laughs> <laughs> There's some good kills in this one too. I think they have one where he's on a tree and he's like, uh, surviving and then he gets his legs pulled down and the noose snaps his neck. There's just some brutal stuff in here. So if you haven't I've, seen this one, I definitely recommend it. I've always thought that his look though was, was a little, I don't know. Not Yeah. He needs not, to be not in not the shadows. Effective. Yeah, he, he, he needs to be in the shadows because once once he gets uh, into into the full light, uh, he definitely loses uh, a little bit of his uh, uh, of his creepiness, uh, you know, that he has going. Well, but, uh, you know, the post. I mean, like Max is over here talking about all these movies that like kick ass posters. Madman is like has an awesome one sheet poster, like, and it's him. Yes. In the, it's him in the shadows. You know, there's not many movies that are able to be super effective you know, without using shadows or a mask or something like that. It's like Slumber Party Massacre is one I think about, or like the killer is just a guy, you know, it's just some guy walking around, you know, killing people. And so, yeah. And they, and they never hide who it is either. Right. He's, he's He's just, he's there. Yeah. He's just there. It's like, Oh, it's that guy. I mean, he like hides under a sheet and shit in that movie, but whatever. Um, you know, yeah, Madman's cool. It's another one of those late night movies that I watched a few years ago on Shudder um, when I was just a bachelor <laughs> and would stay up like way too late and just hanging out, just wasting my time. Um, but yeah, it's one of those kind of nights. But um, yeah, it's all right. It's all right. It's it's definitely an eighty slasher. It's definitely one that people should watch for sure. 
It also kind of reminds me of like Sleepaway Camp where the cast is just all nobodies with a nobody director. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page and none of the actors have future credits or past credits except for the um, one of the lead characters who plays uh, Betsy is done by Galen Ross who um, is Francine Parker in Dawn of the Dead. But other than that, it's all, uh, all nameless. So they probably spent a good portion of their budget on her. <laughs> But yeah, um, it, it it does have some good kills. Uh, he his his preferred uh, weapon is that axe, and he uh, he definitely puts it to good use. Uh, to a lot of a lot of faces, uh, a lot of you know uh, that that kill that you talked about, you know, with the car and you know uh, stringing him up, you know, by a tree and stuff like that. So yeah, it 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 does have some decent kills for a you know for an eighty slasher for sure. Well, uh, segueing right into my pick uh which you know kind of has uh a, a a very distinct uh you know connection to madman because madman uh was originally going to uh you know be based on the uh you know urban legend of the you know cropsy killer uh you know who you know was present around the new york new jersey area but uh my film beat them to it so they had to uh you know rechange uh you know their their killer a little bit and, you know, kind of retool their, you know, their whole film. But, uh, I did the burning, uh, from, uh, 1981, uh, directed by Tony Malum. Um, yeah, this is, uh, you know, of the, uh, of all the eighties films, definitely the, the biggest quote unquote ripoff, uh, of, of Friday the 13th. But, uh, uh, a lot of people think that that was the case that you know this ripped off Friday the Thirteenth, but this film was actually written a few months before Friday the Thirteenth dropped. So a, a very common misconception that uh, you know this uh, you know was just piggybacking off of Friday the Thirteenth success. But uh, yeah, um, this uh, you know was the first film that uh, Berth Miramax, uh, Bob and Harvey Weinstein uh, wrote uh, and produced this film, uh, and it kind of you know, jolted, uh, their career for better or worse, uh, down the line. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely gave us, uh, you know, some good films from Miramax and Dimension, uh, as long as you, uh, don't care for, uh, for, for one of them and, uh, his, his personal taste. But, uh, yeah, um, I, I, I really like this film. Uh, it, uh, has some great, uh, makeup and gore effects, uh, by, uh, guru Tom Savini. Uh, he's back, uh, doing his thing. Um, he was asked to do uh, Friday the 13th part two, but he picked uh, this movie instead. Thought it, he said it sounded more interesting and he, uh, he actually said that he didn't understand how Jason could be fully grown after being a child in the first one. So he was just like, I don't get that. So he, he was, you know, was kind of like, fuck it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this other camp murderer uh, who's, who's chopping up teens. But uh, yeah, unlike Madman, uh, this, movie actually has uh, a lot of future talent uh, in its cast. Uh, Jason Alexander, uh, with I, I think he already has a hairpiece in this in this film, as he does pretty much with everything uh, in his career. Uh, Holly Hunter, uh, who's in a blink-and-you-miss-it role. Uh, and Fisher Stevens, who uh, is known for his uh, role in Hackers and that great Super Mario Brothers film. Um, but uh, yeah, some definitely uh, you know future talent uh, you know was definitely present in this film, um, and uh, you know Cropsy is uh, you know pretty pretty effective killer. He has a lot of great scenes. Uh, most notably, uh, I think the most well known uh, is the river raft uh, massacre scene uh, from the movie. 
they are uh, floating up uh, to um, a, a lost canoe that they've been trying to find, and Cropsy uh, pops out with his garden shears, and uh, hilarity ensues. And uh, it's a it's a great horror scene. Um, lots of great blood and uh, makeup effects uh, from Tom Savini. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's your it's your standard '80s slasher film. Um, you know, I I love the inclusion of the garden shears uh, as as Cropsy. It, you know, uh, lugs him around. It kind of gives him uh, that, that, uh, you know, calling card of, of, of his killer. But, uh, I, I definitely could have used more kills. Um, you know, over half the kills, uh, in the film did come from that one, uh, raft sequence. So I, I, I definitely think they could have, uh, gone a little further and, you know, did a little bit more, uh, with the kills and the gore and, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, um, I've always liked this film. Um, you know, I always, think of Cropsy as, you know, Jason's uh, lesser known cousin uh, in the in the slasher genre. But uh, yeah, you could definitely do worse. Um, what do you guys think about The Burning? I haven't seen it. I ordered it from Screen Factory on Amazon and they canceled my order about a year ago when I was going to pick it up when I was on sale. Um, but I haven't seen it. But I did see that it was the debut film for Jason Alexander, Fisher Stevens and Holly Hunter. So that's pretty interesting. And um, like we mentioned earlier, another badass poster. I think it has like a couple hot and heavy, a, a lake and a camp scene and then the kitchen shears above it so, or the gardening shears above it. So that's just great. Yeah, that 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 imagery that they you know put in um, uh, a few times in the film of him holding up the shears uh, um, above his head, just about to like pile drive people with it. Uh, that's uh, that's that's a pretty cool image uh, that they sprinkle uh, you know throughout the film. Yeah, I mean it's awesome movie. I think it holds up. That Screen Factory release is uh, pretty sweet. It's kind of a bummer they just canceled your order. I guess they. Yeah, I should try to buy it again. I think it was on like on too much sale where they must have sold too many copies and then canceled it. But twenty three bucks on Amazon, so I may pick that one up again. Yeah, it's worth it. And then you gotta hunt down the slipcover on eBay, okay? But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the burning is awesome. I mean, it does have that reputation um, with the wine scenes being involved of it. But I mean, dude, what are you gonna just never watch Dogma again? No, you're gonna watch Dogma. You know, uh, you're just never gonna watch Goodwill Hunting. But um, yeah, I mean, you can divorce yourself from that, I think. Um, I, I like this movie quite a bit. I mean, I think it really is a lot of fun. Cropsy is um, really cool. And, yeah, I mean, to me, it's just kind of a fun movie to watch. And it is fun to be like, oh, shit, Holly Hunter. Or, um, you know. But uh, it has been a while. It's been about five or six years since I've seen this. So I think I'll have to uh, maybe try to go on the hunt for that movie as well. So, Tyler, how'd you watch this? Uh, I actually just, uh, bought it. Um, I, I think it was on like a Fandango now, um, app, uh, on my, uh, on my streaming device. Um, it's, it, it's actually not available, uh, a lot, uh, streaming. Um, you know, you can only, you know, get that Blu-ray that y'all talk about. And then I think it was, you know, only available on that Fandango app. So, um, definitely, uh, not, not very much, uh, available as, as some other titles, but, uh, you know, one thing that I've always kind of, uh, you know, dug uh, about the burning that, you know, Friday the 13th, you know, always hinted at, but never really, you know, got into was, you know, this takes place at an active camp. Like, I think only one Friday the 13th ever was, you know, present, you know, while they were like kids and students like at a camp, which was part six. But uh, yeah, these kids are like at this camp and, you know, they're they're prime, prime meat uh, for for Cropsy to 
to carve up. So, uh, I've, I've always liked that, you know, uh, you, you really can't go wrong with, a you know, with an 80 slasher that's, uh, you know, uh, takes place at a campground in my opinion. Nice. Well, I think that, uh, that wraps up our three picks each for the, uh, pre seventies, seventies and eighties. And we're going to be dropping the next episode in two weeks that Tyler mentioned nineties, uh, two thousands and 2010. So, uh, maybe a little bit more accessible movies there for you guys to pick up. But it's definitely been fun revisiting some of these movies and kind of going down the rabbit hole of searching for what's going to be the best for people to watch and find and, you know, finding the right balance of it. So I had a great time with this. Same. You know, it's it's always nice to talk about, you know, movies that you love and that you've watched, you know, uh, you know uh, 50, 60 times. But, uh, you know, I always appreciate going to – you know, deeper cuts and, you know, films that, uh, you know, don't get as much love. And, you know, I always love learning about, uh, you know, new things uh, like, uh, you know, like uh, Brain Dead, right? Brain Dead. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah, I've got to find that on uh, YouTube. I guess it's not going to be that hard, though, now, right? I don't know why I didn't do yeah. it like a month ago when we talked about it. But, I mean, dude. It's just like, it, it, it makes me sad that I will never be able to watch all of the movies. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Just, like, join my 600-pound life and just <laughs> sit on the fucking couch and watch this That's shit exactly all? what you're supposed to do. Dude, I don't know if I, I can mean, do, do I mean, I mean, we're in the quarantine, so, like, life life doesn't exist anymore, Oh, right? yeah, yeah. You know? Dude, I am busy. I find ways to fill my day that, you know, as much as I love watching movies... I try to do it in moderation, and then every couple weeks, I'll just have a day where I'm just on the couch and I'll watch like four or five movies a day. So, Same. Yeah. So. I love I love vegging out for sure. It's uh, it's the best when I don't have to work for sure. All right. Well, um, you can find uh, me on the social medias uh, on Instagram, uh, preferably at. Uh, the dot shape dot 1978 always throwing out what i'm currently watching um and i think i'm going to uh start throwing up some polls because i i feel like after these gems uh, we definitely should do um a viewer request uh episode so i think me and max and cole are going to start to throw out some uh some polls and questions on uh, what you guys want to see because uh we we aim to please here at uh here at screaming cinema yeah, absolutely. I think I, I threw out a couple and I got some great recommendations that I posted. So I'll have to go back to those and uh, maybe we'll we'll get a poll together for that. But you can follow uh, the podcast at Scream Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find my page at Screaming Cinema on Twitter and Instagram as well. Um, are we finally going to release the, uh, the Instagram of uh, James Cole Clay here or what? I think I saw you <laughs> active on a new page recently. Uh, a little bit. Nah, man, I'm not. I, I'm still kind of brewing. I'm just so busy with my job and writing and just keeping up with just life. I, I rarely think like, oh, yeah, I mean, I like it. I enjoy it, but I never think, like, oh, I need to spend time doing I don't know. I just prioritize other things, but I do enjoy it. But um, I'm, I'm around on Instagram here and there. I got a personal Instagram. You can follow me, Grams by Cole. Um, you can request to follow me on Twitter. I've kind of said, fuck that place. Um, but uh, you can read my reviews. I'm doing a lot of Blu-ray stuff lately, and I'm actually really enjoying it. Today I wrote um, 1,100 words on the Tom Cruise movies that I brought up. So, um, so it should be fun. And you can find me on here. I mean, what, what more do you need from me? Honestly? What do you need from me, people? 
I need I need to know where uh, I can find you on Google Plus. Uh, I think <laughs> I have a I Google Plus account from when I used to work in marketing. I used to work at like or, uh, uh, internet or your, marketing or your MySpace. Right. I need I need your MySpace. Dude, MySpace is gone, bro. That, that is gone. No. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's have a Madman Mars play us out, and then uh, catch us in a couple weeks here with uh, with some more uh, hidden gems. Thanks, guys. All right. Hey